Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for this incredible church family, this uh, place of worship, this, these, this group of people that loves and honors you. And as we open your word, may you uh, challenge us and push us and encourage us, help us to understand our story and be able to share it. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you can hear that. That's annoying to me. I don't know if it's the uh, pickup from Pastor Juan's guitar or not. Can you turn that off? Maybe, Joey? I don't know. Can you hear it? Or is it just me? Okay, good. I was like, am I the only one that hears this? Anyway, I'm sure you guys will be working on it up there. All right, let me start with an illustration. Several years ago, like 10 years ago, it's a while ago, we had one child. He was six months old, just a little baby, and some of our best friends, Tom and Colleen Kingery, they were just down the road from us. We'd met them doing triathlons. They told us that they were pregnant as well, and we were so excited, and we looked at the timing, and we thought, oh, our babies are going to be just about a half year apart. This is a really special thing. We're close friends. This will be neat. They sent us an invitation in the mail. It was an invitation, blue, or blue and red, pink. We, it was all these colors. It was beautiful. I pulled it out of the envelope, and it was an invitation to their baby shower. It had the date, the time, the location, and so we showed up at this baby shower, walked in the door. We felt like we were rock stars because we held this little Caffrey, six-month-old boy. Everybody in the house rushes to the front door. We didn't even know them. They didn't even know us. We only knew Tom and Colleen, and everybody says, oh, so this is the one with the arranged marriage. He's going to marry the daughter, right? That invitation was special, but that's not the invitation we were looking forward to. A few weeks later, her water breaks. They text us as she's having contractions. They go to the, the, uh, the hospital. We're so excited about it. She has the baby. Would you like to see the baby? Oh, that was weak. Would you like to see the baby? Okay, here she is. This is Abigail Beth Kingry. Look at her. Oh, what a babe. What a sweet girl. Tom sent us a, a, a video of her and Jen and I. We sat on the couch and we just cried looking at this beautiful girl. And finally, the invitation came, the one we'd been waiting for. They said, could you come to the hospital and meet this baby? And so we rushed off to the hospital to meet our possible future daughter-in-law. <laughs> Here, here's a picture of the family. There they are. Look at Caffrey. He's six months old. He's already making moves for that girl. Look at that. <laughs> He's like, she's mine. <laughs> In the Bible, there are invitations all over the place inviting people to connect in special ways. In fact, um, all over the place you see them. One of my favorite ones is in the book of Psalms where it says these words. Here they are on the screen. The psalmist writes, Come and see what God has done, his awesome deeds for mankind. You know, Jesus gives us invitations all throughout the Bible as well. You see some of them like this one in Revelation where he says these words, Whoever's thirsty... Let him come, and whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. He says, look, it's yours. Just come and get it. Or here in Matthew, Jesus says these words as well. He says, come, you who are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. He's, it's this invitation. Here it is. Come and take it. Come. Or this one, to all disciples ever, in the book of Mark, I think it is, it says, Jesus says, come and follow me. There's invitations all throughout the Bible, personal invitations that make a big difference. Today, we're looking at four stories 
four invitations, and we're looking at their story and their invitation to others and what changed their lives. So if you've got your Bibles, I invite you to open to the first story. It's in the book of Mark in the New Testament. I hope you brought a Bible today. If you didn't bring one, there's a blue one in front of you in the pew. You're going to need a Bible, and you're going to need nimble fingers today because we are moving all over the Bible today. Mark chapter 5 is the first story, first of these rapid-fire stories. Now, I cheated. I put these little, uh, these little markers in my Bible so I can turn there faster, but you, you'll, you'll just have to be nimble-fingered today. Mark chapter 5, we're starting in verse 1. If you're there, say amen. Amen. Pretty solid. I I hear a few more pages turning. Mark 5, starting in verse 1. This is one of my favorite Bible stories. See if you can find the invitation in it. Jesus and the disciples have been busy doing ministry. They get into a boat and they head across the lake. That's where we pick up the story. It says this. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerizines. Some Bibles say Gadarenes. Same place. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. The man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. And you see the rest of the story as Jesus is interacting with this man and interacting with these demons that are in this man, that are controlling this man. And this conversation goes back and forth. And what amazes me is that in this story, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords even has grace when he speaks to Satan's demons. Because Jesus could have just said the words and obliterated these demons for eternity Yet he gives them grace and mercy and instead sends them into the pigs that are nearby. These pigs, these porkers, they become suicidal. They run down the hill. They go into the Sea of Galilee and they drown. The conversation now is between Jesus and these, these owners of the pigs. And they're frustrated because now their livelihood is gone. And so they say, Jesus, we want you to leave. And so we pick up the story just down in verse uh, 6. Let's see, what verse is it? Uh, Verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat... The man who had been demon-possessed, that's past tense, had been demon-possessed, begged to go with him. Are you seeing this story? It's a new man. He was demon-possessed, now he's not, and he begs Jesus. He says, I want more of this. You've changed my life. I'm a different person because of you. You've given me freedom that I've never even experienced, never thought I could experience, and I want to go with you. He begged to go with him. Verse 19 Jesus did not let him go, but said, Go home to your own people and tell how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Verse 20 is on the screen. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, that's the ten cities, how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. 
Isn't that a crazy story? It's an incredible story of demons possessing a man and a man having freedom. He gives this invitation. He says, he tells all the people, his neighbors, his friends, his family, he says, you've got to understand what God has done for me. Come, let me show you this man. It's almost as if he said, come and see what God has done. His awesome deeds for mankind. He didn't write a sermon using Hebrew and Greek. He didn't have this polished uh, special message. He didn't uncover some deep theological insights and put them in a paper and publish them. He just told his story of what his experience with God was like. He told his story and the people were amazed. You know, so often we think of witnessing and giving a testimony like it has to be some, uh, some special event that's happened in your life. It's some beautiful exposition with beautiful words when really it's just our story and our experience and our encounter with Jesus that makes the most meaning to somebody else. Second story is in Mark chapter 1. It's just a couple pages over. Mark chapter 1, still in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark chapter 1, starting right there in verse 40, where we see another short story. I like how Mark does the stories because they're really concise. He just gets right to the point and tells you the stories. Mark chapter 1, verse 40. Here's the next one. It says this, a man with leprosy came to Jesus and he begged him on his knees. There it is again. We just saw people begging before Jesus. He begged him on his knees. He says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Verse 41 says, Jesus was indignant. And when I think of the word indignant, I think of it as angry or annoyed. Yet I think what Jesus is really saying here, he's not angry, he's not annoyed, he just says, of course I'm willing. Why would you think I wouldn't be willing? He reached out his hand and he touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was clean. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. So Jesus, he says, you're clean. You've, you have freedom from this disease. You are a brand new person, but shh, don't tell anybody. And it's kind of a weird thing why Jesus wouldn't want him to tell anyone. And I think there's at least three reasons why. The first is, if the leper had told people, then uh, word would spread fast and possibly the word that Jesus had cleansed him would have reached the priest before the leper. And if that was the case, then the priest might not have declared him clean because of their dislike for Jesus. Or another reason might have been that, that if the, the, the miracle had been spread, the other lepers in the region might have said, well, I want that too, and then would have crowded around Jesus and then Jesus couldn't have done the broader ministry that he wanted because he's tied up here. Or maybe a third reason would be that Jesus didn't want to be known as just a miracle worker. He was reaching for people's hearts, not just healing people. But regardless of, of what he wanted, this newly cleansed leper couldn't obey. And I don't blame him at all. Verse 45, here's what it says. Instead, this leper went out and he began to talk freely, spreading the news and as a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places, yet the people still came to him from everywhere. This leper is a bold man. 
because he directly disobeys Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And can you blame him? He's experienced the freedom that's only found in Jesus. He's a new man. He's been chained with disease, but now he's free. And he can't help but just tell his story. He had to tell. So he tells his friends and he tells his family and he tells the other lepers. It's like he says, come and see the man that healed me. Come and see what God has done. His awesome deeds for mankind. He tells his story. The third story is in John, just a few books over. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, John chapter 4. The context is that Jesus is gaining a lot of popularity. Lots of people are following. People are engaged with him. John the Baptist is also has a great following. In fact, there's these, this uh, debate about who's better, Jesus or John. And so Jesus takes some time and he slips away. And we pick up the story in verse 4. John chapter 4, verse 4. It's a story you probably have heard. It's a long story, but we'll just grab bits and pieces of it. Here's what it says. John 4, starting in verse 4, it says this. Now Jesus had, gone, had to go through Samaria... So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, he sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew. And I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And so they sit on the edge of the well and they have this discussion about what living water is. And she's a little slow on the pickup because she's thinking, oh, it's just moving water down there. Yet Jesus is talking about life-giving connection with the Savior that once you take that in forever and ever, you're always connected with him. You're always sustained. You're always uplifted. They continue this discussion until Jesus reaches for her heart in a most uh, touching way that's so personal to her that no one else could know it. It's right there in verse 16. Here's what it says. Jesus told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. So they have this discussion. They go back and forth, and she's almost embarrassed, yet she can look in Jesus' eyes, and she knows that he's not condemning her. He's not pointing an angry finger at her. He's not judging her. He's just reaching for her heart as he says, I know you this well. I know your history. I know your past. I know everything that you've done. I know your divorces. I know your affairs. I know everything about you, and I still love you. And as they have this conversation, she's overwhelmed with the connection that he gives her. And we pick up the story, verse 28, because this is what happens after they've talked and he, as he's told her that he is the Messiah. So verse 28 says, Leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, she says, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? She doesn't go into the town and say, well, there's a cool guy out at the well. She says, come see this man. 
He knows me and loves me and he knows and loves you too. Come see the man that I know. It's almost like she said, come and see what God has done, his awesome deeds for mankind. I mean, in all three of these stories, these people, they tell of their experience with Jesus, a personal one-on-one experience with him. They tell their story. They give an invitation to meet someone that they personally know. They don't say, come and see somebody that I think could be good, or come and see a guy that I think does good things. They say, come and see a guy, a man, a God that knows me and loves me. They invite people to meet Jesus like they've met him too. You know, I get frustrated sometimes, and maybe this is just a I don't know, maybe an annoyed pastor. I get frustrated sometimes on how people struggle so much on telling others about Jesus. Because I think so often we get stuck in this paradigm and this, 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 uh, this box that says a testimony has to be a certain way. Uh, it's not about a testimony that has chain references in your Bible that are connected all over Old Testament and New Testament. A testimony is not just about understanding all the ins and outs of prophecy. Uh, You don't have to be able to explain the 2300-day prophecy in order to give a testimony. It's not about being able to tell the difference between the King James Version and the New International Version. You don't have to have a Master of Divinity degree in order to share your testimony. I mean, giving your testimony is simply telling your story of Jesus in your own experience. What does he mean to you? What has he done for you? And your story doesn't have to be some... Uh, amazing story of how I used to be an atheist and now I found Jesus. Or I used to be a drug drug addict and I no longer am. Or I used to drink alcohol all the time and now I don't. Your story doesn't have to be about anything wild and crazy because your story's not even about you. Your story's all about Jesus. Giving your testimony is all about telling others what Jesus means to you. And you never know when you'll have that opportunity You never know who the person is that you're going to share it with. You never know the person that Jesus has already been working on their heart that that he's put in your path so that you can impact their life. Just last evening, I was going over my sermon, kind of thinking it through, and I I got an Instagram notification. It was from Tiffany Carroll. You may remember her. She was just, she's one of our newest members, although every week there's newer and newer members. She flew down here with her husband, Billy, from Michigan, and uh, they were the newest members in our church for like 10 minutes before we transferred them out in the baptistry to their home church back in Michigan. And she sent me a reel on Instagram, and as I watched it, I thought, this is going in the sermon tomorrow. It's a story of of a man in Florida that is a new Christian. He's had an experience by himself with Jesus, and he has a story to tell. And this is how he shares his testimony. Here's the video. I actually pray out loud. I go, hey, God, and I'm brand new to this God thing, so I don't even know how this works, but I'm like, hey, God, I can't wait to learn how to share you with others, and if you want to use me, even on this drive, use me. Like a minute later, there's this hitchhiker on the side of the road that I see big dude, big duffel bag, but I just kept feeling in my soul like you should go back. You should go back and pick him up. And I didn't know that's how God can, through his Holy Spirit, nudge you to do it. So I, it wouldn't go away. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to go back and get this guy. And so I did one of those unauthorized vehicles. Can I turn around the little highway? I did it. Figuring if you do it for God, you won't get a ticket. <laughs> he gets in my car. And the whole time I keep feeling like God wants me to tell him about him. And so finally I can't, and I don't know how to do this, but I finally just said something like this. I don't remember exactly, but I'm like driving. I'm like, hey, Jody. 
you ever like think about spiritual things? You know, what kind of line is that, right? But I throw that out and Joe goes, I can't believe you just asked me this question. And then I'm like, oh no, he doesn't want to talk about this. And I just go, well, why is that? You will not believe this. He goes, my life is a wreck right now. And I don't believe in God, but man, I don't know what to do. And I'm standing on that highway a few hours ago and I look up to the sky and I say, hey God, if you're real, send me one of your followers to tell me about you. And he looks at me and he goes, would that be you? And I go, yep, that'd be me. He gave his life to Jesus in my car on a highway in Florida. <laughs> I didn't even know there was a verse in the Bible that said God strategically places you to shine. He tells his story. He gives the invitation and somebody responds. The right place at the right time, or maybe it's just a divine appointment that God put in there. But he told his story and everyone was amazed. You know, we started with the idea of four stories, and we've read three of them, but the fourth one's a little different. Because it's not in the Bible. It's your story. What does your story look like? What does your interaction with Jesus look like? What has he done for you that's made an impact in your life? You know, some of us, we struggle with this idea of telling the story in your life of Jesus. And if that's too hard for you, then just tell about Jesus and who he is and what he means to you. Many years ago, I was at the Georgia Cumberland Conference camp meeting in Collegedale, Tennessee. And uh, I always worked in the youth department because I love young people. And uh, on Sabbath afternoon, there was a little bit of a break, and I was at my sister's house right there in Udawala, Tennessee. Uh, we lived about three hours apart, but pretty close, but we didn't get to see each other that much. And so either, even though both of us were incredibly exhausted, we said, let's just hang out and talk while everyone else is sleeping, do, doing lay activities on Sabbath afternoon, like good Adventists do. And so we sat on the back porch of her house, and we just talked, and she was going through some of the most challenging moments of her life. Uh, they'd been there in college for quite some time, and they'd had a, a baby girl, Brindley, my niece, and she's just a beautiful girl and full of life and energy. And as they noticed her growing, they, they noticed there was some differences, and so they were trying to figure out this neurological condition that she had, and they were trying to figure it out. It was frustrating. They'd had a bad car accident. Things are starting to pile up. Uh, they find out that Mindy's husband's job was being eliminated, so now they have no security of life, and her faith is wavering, and she's sharing this with me on the back porch of their house, and we're talking back and forth, and she's telling me this story of life, and her faith wavers as she wonders, where is God in all this? Where is he when I need him most? That night, Saturday night, I'm in the bed, bedroom where I'm at, and uh, I get woken up because my sister runs into the bedroom and she wakes me up. She says, hey, Matt, I need some help. Can you come? It's three o'clock in the morning. So I go out into the kitchen just wearing my underwear. She's, she's got an iPad out there on the counter. And she says, can you, can you search for me um, what to do with infant seizures? And I look and on the iPad, Google's open and I can see the search bar. And it's just a jumble of letters because she was shaking and couldn't even type in the words. And so I, I don't know what's happening, but I'm Googling uh, what to do when infant seizures happen. And she's, she's off in the back part of the house. And after a few minutes, I'm, I'm like, what am I doing here? Just standing here in my underwear. So I go to the back part of the house and, and in the bathroom, my niece, little Brinley, 
she's there, they've got her in the tub, she'd been sick and she had this massive fever and it spiked so high. They put her in the tub, they put ice water on her, they're just kind of bathing her. She's there and she's just kind of seizing with her eyes open and, and we're wondering, what do we do? Do we need to call an ambulance? And a few moments after I get there, uh, my brother-in-law, he says, she's not breathing, she's not breathing anymore. So they call the ambulance, the ambulance comes and, and uh, they take Brinley to the hospital. Brinley's okay, but it's just one more thing on their list. They get pregnant again, but in the first few weeks of this baby's life, they notice something's not wrong, and they find out that she had miscarried. And I don't know what that pain feels like. Many of you do, but just seeing it from somebody else, I don't want to experience it. And as all these things pile on, they wonder, where's God in all this? Where is he when we need him the most? What does our future even look like? Our job security, our family, what are we going to do? And through the next weeks and months, they get to see a God that cares about each and every one of us. As he orchestrates different interviews and different connections, as he leads them to Minnesota to pastor a church there, a warm and friendly welcoming church that scoops them up and pulls them in and embraces them for who they are, that cares for their family. And as they experience this kind of love and care, and as they, there they are, yeah. And as they enjoy this warmth of fellowship, they, their life shouts this praise. It shouts an invitation as it says this, Come and see what God has done. The awesome deeds for mankind. I don't know what your story looks like, and you may not know it either. But my prayer for you is that you see how God has led, how he is leading, and how he will lead. And may you let your story be an invitation to others that they can come and see what God has done in your story too. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, today I'm challenged with you because you're such a God that loves and cares about us. We don't even deserve it, yet you do it. God, may we experience you. May we have holy boldness. May we be willing to share the story of Jesus in our lives. God, we love you. We can't wait to see you. In Jesus' name, amen.